Luke chapter 19 is where we are, verse 29. And all four of the gospel accounts uh, record this story, um, this uh, moment when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem and he is hailed as the king of the Jews. Um, it's going to be a short-lived glory. Um, and Jesus knew it right on that day that it really was not all that needed to happen. Uh, so outside of this event, I think the only other event that is recorded in all five of the Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. So you, you know, you, you, you're getting different perspectives and they're bringing in different information. So as we pick this up, we're going we're gonna to dip over into Mark and maybe another one of the Gospels just to kind of fill out the picture. But let's begin reading at verse 29, and let's, let's see what's going on. And it came to pass when he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because... The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they sat, and there they sit, uh, there sat Jesus on him. And he went, as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he drew, excuse me, then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side <clears throat> and level you. And your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's go ahead and just read the next verses too, all the way to the end of the chapter. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. And were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. This is an important day on the prophetic calendar to which Jesus alludes. He said, you should have known, especially this day. There was something unique and specific about this day that Israel should have known about. And it was, in short, that their Messiah was coming. But they didn't recognize him. Instead, they reject him. And they miss out on the peace that he wanted to bring to their lives. He says, this was a day and there were things that were going to bring you peace, but you rejected them and now you don't have a part in them. 
And we're also going to see as we cross-reference into Mark that Jesus expected that there would be fruit in, their, in the country. He expected to see life, spiritual vibrancy, but instead he found nothing. And that is going to be illustrated in a fig tree that had no fruit. We begin diving in at verse 29 through 40, and we read of the triumphal entry there. Anyone familiar with the Gospels is immediately struck with how Jesus conducts himself in this moment. So what we saw throughout the Gospels is that when Jesus would heal somebody, he often would say to them, don't tell anybody about it. It was a messianic hush. And we know why. Because he wanted the freedom to be able to move from one city to the next. He didn't want the crowds to get so large that he was locked into one location without the freedom to move about and go from one small village to the next proclaiming the gospel. And so he tells them to be quiet. The one exception is the demoniac who probably was a Gentile over in the Decapolis. And he tells him to go tell all of his friends, which apparently he did. But this was something that's different. Rather than telling everybody to be quiet, Jesus is saying, we're, he's going out of his way to step into the fulfillment of a prophecy that's going to be the most public moment of his ministry up until this point. So something different is taking place. He specifically tells the disciples to go and get a, a, a colt from a donkey, to go bring, bring this to them. And that he's going to then get on and he's going to write it in. But why would he do this? Well, uh, Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. That was written around 520 B.C., so 550 years before Jesus comes to this scene, God speaks to the prophet Zechariah and says, when the Messiah comes into town, when he's presented to your people as, as the king of the Jews, he's going to come into the city riding on a donkey. Now in ancient times, this was symbolic of one coming in peace. If you saw the king coming in on a donkey, then this meant he was coming in peace. If you saw him coming in on a, a wild stallion, then this meant there's bad news. He's coming in to conquer. And so you would see uh, you know, an invading army and the general riding in um, on, a, um, on a stallion, but not on a donkey. It was a different message that would be communicated. Now, Jesus is going to come riding into Jerusalem again, isn't he? And when he comes the second time, he is not going to come riding in on a donkey. He's going to be coming riding in on a white horse, which if we have time, we'll read that in Revelation chapter 19. But if I don't get to it, you can at least read of the second coming. This is the first time he came into Jerusalem and was acknowledged as king. He will come in again and be acknowledged as king, but it's for very different purposes. The first time he comes in, it was to bring salvation and peace. The next time that he comes in, it will be to establish a kingdom and to overthrow governments. So, very different scenario. Well, the disciples rejoice at Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. 
Now, just a, a day before, they were at the house of Lazarus, and they were celebrating and having a great meal together. They, they celebrated Shabbat together. They, they were thankful to the Lord for how they had raised Lazarus from the dead. This is where Mary anoints him for his burial, where Judas rebukes her, and we find out, and Jesus didn't in turn rebukes Judas and says, leave her alone. Wherever the gospel is preached, the, what this woman has done here is going to be communicated she has done this in preparation for my burial. So th th there's been a celebration that's been happening. If you go back a little bit further before the house of Lazarus, he's down in Jericho, and he had just met with Zacchaeus. And um, blind Bartimaeus cries out on the road, have mercy on me, son of David. And he heals blind Bartimaeus, and he takes that ascent up from Jericho into the city of Jerusalem. And he goes to the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And they have this, this dinner and this meal. Now they're coming from that, and he says, all right, go get this donkey. And now the disciples, they're rejoicing. They're celebrating. They've just been reminded of all the good things that the Lord has done. And now we read here that the whole multitude, verse 37, of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. So it wasn't just the raising of Lazarus. They, they probably were rejoicing over the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. And the blind man, Barimaeus, who could see. And the repentance of Zacchaeus and those, Mary Magdalene, who had the demons cast out of her. There was many things they could rejoice and be thankful in for what the Lord had done. And they were rehearsing them. And so they say, blessed is the king who comes. Just like the prophet Zechariah said, your king is going to come, riding on a donkey. And so they are saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. In Matthew 21, verse 10, it says, and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? So you have the disciples that are specifically rejoicing over the good works of the Lord. It would seem from some other accounts, you could also read in Matthew, um, that Jesus gets into the temple and all kinds of sick people are healed. And, and they are, they're, they're saying, Hosanna, they're rejoicing in the Lord. So the whole city is abuzz with Jesus Christ. Is, who is he? And this is what they're saying. Who is this? Um, it is Passover. Um, maybe as many as two and a half million people filling the city of Jerusalem. That's based upon a number that Josephus gives us, that 256,500 sheep were sacrificed during this time at Passover. And if you estimate 10 people per animal, you get that very large number. That's not a biblical certainty. That's just a historical texture point, okay? So put whatever weight you want on it. It's a full city. And they're all there to celebrate the Passover. And now you have this, this, you know, the, this verbiage of um, you know, the king has come and, and Hosanna, which means save now. You know, there is, there's something that is taking place. In verses 39 and 40, the leaders immediately understand that what's being said is a messianic call and proclamation and he says, teacher, you need to rebuke your disciples. And he says, I'm not going to tell them to be quiet. As a matter of fact, if I tell them to be quiet, you're going to have another problem on your hands. You're going to have all the rocks of this city crying out. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, one thing that will stand out to you is how many rocks 
or in Israel. Somebody said, when God finished creating the earth, he had a, a bunch of rocks left over and said, what am I going to do with them? I said, we'll just dump them on Israel. And they dumped them right there. They're, it's, it's a, they're all over. And so um, he says, listen, the rocks are going to cry out if this happens. This is clearly a special day. It's a special event. And it, it's, it's supposed to have a huge impact, but they're going to miss what the Lord is wanting to do. Well, I said we'd reference over into Mark. So turn there now with me, if you would. Mark chapter 11, verses 11 through 16. Jesus is going to come the next day. He's going to get, come to the temple. Well, he's coming to the temple every day. But um, just let's read this account and find out something else that's going on. We see that he was disgusted with what he saw by the money changers. So this, Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So a two-mile journey back and forth. Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who had bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. So Jesus has had two different occasions when he's turned over the tables. At the beginning of his ministry and now here at the end of the ministry. And what we see as Jesus takes a closer look, he's not happy with what he sees. As he pushes back the leaves of a tree, the fig tree, although it wasn't time to be harvesting figs, it could be that you would find the beginnings of some figs. You know, the, 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 these small figs are some, some form of fruit. But he finds nothing. This becomes symbolic of how he comes to the nation and he looks for something. Now, it looks promising from the outside. They have this beautiful, glorious temple. They have all kinds of people jamming a city to come and keep the feast of the Passover. There's all kinds of, you know, orders of religious men that are supposed to be serving the nation. But when he pushes the leaves back of all of that religiosity, what he finds is nothing. He comes to the temple and what he finds instead is money changers that are being supported by the high priest and all of his little minions because they're getting rich off of the system. This is not a descendant of Aaron. This has gone to the highest bidder. This is a Roman, a Rome has appointed who this is. These people are not serving. They are fleecing the flock of God and they are ripping them off. You know, in one sense, there was a place where you could have, um, you think about traveling a long distance and coming into Israel and having a, a lamb that would have been approved already. 
um, what could have been a service. It would have made life a lot easier for those that were coming. But, they, but what they had turned this into was a money-making proposition. And that is the offensive thing to the Lord, is that it had turned into a den of thieves. This is what he calls it. It wasn't good-hearted people that wanted to make it easier for the worshiper and just covering the expenses of it. They were people that were thieves, and they were, they were thieving the people of God right in the temple of the Lord. And that is what the Lord sees when he pushes back the leaves of Israel. There is no fruit as he takes a closer look. In Isaiah chapter 5, um, we go from a fig tree to a vineyard, but just hang in there with the, the whole idea of fruit. And let me read to you what it says in Isaiah 5. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out his stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and, it will, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. I will not, it will not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain, uh, no rain on it. And it, it goes on. But you can see, whether you're talking about the fig tree or whether you're talking about a vineyard, this imagery of fruit, the Lord expects it in the nation of Israel. He expected it in the days of Isaiah. He expected it when he himself came to Israel. And guess what? Jesus expects it in his church this morning. Jesus walks in the midst of his lampstand. We are the temple of the new covenant. We are the living stones, each of us being fit together as one collective body. And Jesus inhabits his church. You say, well, why should I bother to go to church? How about this? Jesus goes to church. Well, they're not good enough for me. Well, they seem to be okay for him. He may have some things he wants to say to correct it. But when people say, I'm not going to go to church because it's so messed up. Well, I'm glad Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus goes to church and he seeks to make a difference in it. And brings them a word of correction. Read the book of Revelation and those seven letters to the seven churches. But he expects there to be fruit. He wanted to see prayer in his temple. He wanted to see genuine worship. He wanted to see people not just drawing near with their lips, but drawing near with what? Their hearts. They, they said all the right things. The city is abuzz with activity. They're putting clothes on, on the donkey. They're laying clothes in front of the donkey. They're, they're putting palm branches. And you can read about this. This happened um, when David did this for Solomon. This happened um, with uh, King uh, Jehu. So these are some, some things that were symbolic. As a matter of fact, if you look at the, the coins that were minted during the time of rebellion against Rome, 
What you will often see on the coins are palm branches. So you see a palm branch. So the palm branch became symbolic. The palm branch is not connected to the Passover. If anything, it would be to the, the Feast of Tabernacles, right? The booths. That's when you would think about that. But this is Passover, and they're laying palm branches. So it's nothing that's directly connected back into the worship of the Passover feast as much as it just became a symbol of liberation. It became a symbol of freedom. And so what they're saying as Jesus comes into the temple Actually, well, he does make it down into the temple, but he's coming down the Mount of Olives, and he's making his way down the Kidron Valley, and then back up and going into uh, the temple. They're worshiping him. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, a very messianic uh, uh, verse. And then they're laying the clothes down and the palm branches. Everybody got what was saying. It's like, do it now, right now. Let it rip. <laughs> we'll get rid of these guys. And so the leaders are trying to calm things down. They don't understand who he is. But Jesus comes in and he looks to see what he can find. And he finds nothing. The Lord looks in your life. He looks in Troy's life to see what he can find. Turn with me to John chapter 15. John 15. A very important chapter about being fruitful. Notice how similar it is to Isaiah chapter 5. I am the true vine and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself... Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. The disciples of Jesus Christ are fruit bearers. That is, we do things that are pleasing to the Lord. Our life is full of righteous acts. Our life is full of kindness and generosity. It's full of genuine worship. It's full of the things that the Lord was looking for in Israel, and he couldn't find them. Now, what Jesus did find was that his house was being used for financial gain in verse, uh, Mark eleven fifteen, And secondly, in Mark eleven sixteen, he says that he also would not permit people to use the temple to cart their wares through. So if you've ever been to the, the city of Jerusalem, you can understand why if you wanted to go from the west side of the city to the eastern side and down into the Mount of Olives, you could understand why you'd want to cut through the temple. Because it's an up and down proposition, and this just it would save a lot of time. So people were going through the place of worship, not intent on worshiping the Lord or giving him praise or giving him glory, but just to make life a little more convenient. Sound familiar? I think this is a problem that we have. 
That in the church, it's like, well, you know, church is just convenient. It's just a thing I do. It's, hey, I can network. I've got a business. I need to meet some people. Maybe I'll meet a girl. Maybe I'll meet a guy. And listen, if you're single, I hope you do meet a godly man or woman inside of the church. So I don't have a problem with that. But when it becomes this thing where that's all we're after, we're not coming to worship, but I'm just trying to add a little bit of ease, a little bit of comfort into my life. You know, did you go to temple today? Did you pray today? Yeah, I was at temple today. You cut through the temple today. You weren't at temple. You weren't worshiping. You weren't engaging. So in one sense, you could say, yeah, I go to the temple every day. But in reality, there was no substance to your passing through that location. And so we must all check our hearts and ask, today, me being here, and I'm going to assume the answer is yes, But we all need to gauge our hearts and say, me being here today, was the Lord blessed with the fruit of your lips and the content of your heart as we worshiped him? You know. You know whether it was. You know what's going on in your heart and your life. But this is what Jesus saw. And so he rebukes that fig tree. It withers and it dies, which becomes prophetic for what is about to happen to the nation of Israel. Again, back in Luke where we read that Jesus said, if the stones don't cry, uh, if I don't, my disciples don't cry out, those stones will cry out. I believe he's referring to a Daniel 9 prophecy, and I'm going to do a great simplification of it, that stated 483 years before this day, the prophet Daniel said, the Messiah is going to come walking into Jerusalem, he'll be cut off. So I believe this is why Jesus says, you ought to know, you should have been ready. Look at verse 42. He says, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus was coming and he was looking for real life, but he also wanted them to acknowledge him and to receive him. And they don't do that. And so he says, well, you're going to miss out on the peace that I wanted to bring to you. Now these things are hidden from your eyes. In Luke 177, at the announcement that the Messiah was going to come, we read that he would come to guide our feet into the way of peace. Or in Acts 10.36, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. This is the ministry of the Lord, is to bring peace between you and your maker. To remove that enmity. To restore that fellowship. And then he says in verses 43 through 44, but instead of peace, you're going to have destruction. He says, for the days will come upon you when your enemies are going to surround you. Much like what we read in Isaiah of how the vineyard was going to be torn down. He says, you're going to be surrounded. And indeed, they were. In 70 AD, in their last stand, they were surrounded by the Roman general um, Titus and his armies, and they burned Israel to the ground, and there was not one stone left upon another. It was complete devastation. We all need to be warned about missing the moving of the Lord. We all should be concerned that when the Lord goes to work and move and speak, that I hear what he has to say in my life. The first and most important of those visitations is when the Lord comes to you. And reveals that he is Lord and Savior. And that you are a sinner and need to be forgiven. If you have had this realization. 
that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that he actually wants to make peace between you and the Heavenly Father. And you know that he died on the cross for your sins, but you have yet to come to him. You are living on borrowed time. Because as you see here, Jesus was among them for 33 years, in ministry for three years, and he offered them peace. But they rejected it, and then he says, now it is hidden from your eyes. This is something that is true in other places. Um, I, these three verses here that speak of, of calling upon the Lord when he speaks to us or when he draws near. Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Is the Lord speaking to you? To come and give your life to him? Is the Lord speaking to you, believer, about something that's not right in your life? Then hear what he has to say while he's near. While he's near, there's a chance for, for grace and forgiveness. Wasn't well, there always a chance for grace? No. That surprises some of you. See, there comes a time when the Lord says, I will no longer strive with man. When this life is over, if you have not received the grace of God, you're not going to have an extension on that. You have this lifetime. You have this hour, and you don't know that if you walk out this door, that your heart will become so hardened that you will never hear and have the same insight and understanding you have right now that has come to you from the Spirit of God. That should cause all of you to want to get right with the Lord. How about this? John 12, 35 and 36. Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light. Lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is. Going while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Jesus has manifested himself to you. Embrace that light. In 2 Corinthians 6, I'll let you read that on your own, verses 1 and 2. It talks about believing in the Lord in an acceptable time. Today is the acceptable time to get things right with the Lord, whether it's coming for the first time or whether you are that believer who has already come. You've already put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you know things are seriously out of place in your walk with the Lord. And he's been convicting you and he's been speaking to you, but you have not responded. Well, things are hidden from the eyes of Israel they are still in blindness to this day. That does not mean that individuals are not coming to faith. There's a greater number of Jews that are coming to faith than have you know, come in since Pentecost. Many of them are coming to faith. But nationally, they still are blind to who Jesus is. But you know, Jesus is coming again, as we mentioned. You'll have to read that passage on your own, um, Revelation chapter 19. But when Jesus comes back, what will your heart be like? Will you be ready for the last days? Now, I believe in a pre-trib rapture that will happen before the second coming. But will you, are you ready for this? Are you hearing what the voice of the Lord has to say? If the Lord was to come to your life today and he was to push back the leaves of your spiritual life, what would he find would he find love? Would he find grace? Would he find long-suffering and kindness? Would he find the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5? 
Would he find a zeal for him, a love for him, or worship, or would he find just a bunch of religiosity? Yeah, you got the Bible, you got the t-shirt, you got the bumper sticker, but you don't have me. We need to make certain that, you know, it's like, well, I've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Well, that is a very important thing to do. We, we read that in Scripture. But here's something else that's important. Does Jesus own you? Will Jesus acknowledge that you are his? Because not everybody who came and called him Lord, Lord is going to be his. You must respond to the Lord. You must have a heart that's full. And isn't he worthy of it? Beyond the, the warning and kind of the, that sense of accountability that brings um, a judgment, beyond that, isn't there just a sense of, I want to please the Lord. I want him to look, push back in my life, and I want to, him to find things that are pleasing to him. So Jesus came riding into Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago. And his disciples were right there. They understood, but others didn't. And I think that's the way it is in every generation. There are those who understand who Jesus is, and there are those who don't. May you be among those who understand who Jesus is, giving him first place in your life, abiding in him, remaining in him, giving him priority in your life, that you might walk with him in that closeness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for sending your son. You sent him, Lord, to this earth, and you sent him into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, knowing full well that at the end of that week he would be rejected and he would be crucified, that you would have to pour out your wrath upon him as he hung upon the cross, judging my sin, our sin, and the body of your son, and you did it. Lord, may you speak to us of your love, your desire to bring peace into our life. If you're here this morning, you've never come to Jesus Christ. You've never called upon him. Then I encourage you, today's the acceptable time. Right where you sit, you can pray a prayer that sounds something like this. The prayer I'm going to give you, it's not something that's straight from scripture it's just biblical but something that expresses your awareness that you are a sinner acknowledge the lord i know that i'm a sinner i know that i'm separated from you acknowledge that what he did on the cross dying on the cross was a punishment of your sin in his body and that he rose from the dead means that you can have the hope of everlasting life you need to come to jesus you need to be those that were saying it with their lips, but also shouting it with their hearts, that they're followers of Christ. So you can pray that prayer and ask the Lord to come and take over and to forgive. And if you are a believer, you've already prayed a prayer like that. But boy, as you look at your life, there is not a place of abiding there is not fruit abounding in your life. Maybe all you have are the branches and the leaves, but there's nothing sweet to the Lord as he looks in your life. Well, he wants to find that. And if you'll just begin to spend some time with him, abide with him, remain with him, obey his commandments, you will find that he will produce the very fruit that he's looking for in your life. 
So if you need